So it's Robert Gowan sitting here at Darby Room with my co-host, Kyle Neal. How are you guys doing? So Ranger Regiment's a special place. We got a chance to come back here. And Sergeant T, thank you for being on the podcast. I uh, really appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for the and, invite. And yeah, absolutely. And we were here, You were, we were just talking about that. Probably more like... Before COVID kind of took everything over we, we recorded one i, I couldn't nice. remember exactly when it was but i knew it's been a while and then after that i came back and when it was just myself and we did armib at that time frame with the command we actually did it in this room in the derby room so it's good to be back here um it's good to see you as well now you're in a more senior role so that's kind of cool yeah a little bit so maybe let's start off with first talking a little bit about yourself and um because were you always in recruiting at uh regiment or what was your prior life because with all those trinket there's no way in hell it was just always recruiting yeah so uh if you listen to the the last episode that we recorded this will kind of be a little bit of a uh, recovering stuff we've talked about previously but um i came in the army in 2011 you know went to infantry osit airborne school rasp at the time you went to airborne school first so I went yeah. to rasp and then from there i was assigned a third ranger battalion uh, i spent about eight eight and a half years at third ranger battalion um all in alpha company i went from you know rifleman through weapons squad leader to include a little bit of acting platoon sergeant time in there and then from there i went out and it was kind of like a initial broadening assignment if you will uh to do some recruiting i was the sand hill liaison for the recruiting detachment did all the recruiting at infantry osit and all that um, and then when my, my then boss was getting ready to, to leave the position, uh, they asked me to, to move up and take the NCIC position for the detachment and I agreed to do that. So I've been doing the recruiting thing for about three and a half years at this point. So. Yeah. It just kind of really shows within the regiment, how you can maneuver within the regiment to different types of roles, whether that be cadre or RASP leading the RASP or recruiting or other types of responsibility. So, you know, it, it's kudos to the regiment for still trying to retain their people and utilize them in different ways. Yeah. And it's a, it's kind of interesting too, because when, when you're a, a ranger, you're an NCO and you're in a, you know, a rifle platoon doing the job, you know, doing the, the infantry stuff, the live fires, the training, like the, your entire world re revolves around your platoon. Yeah. Um, and you as far as you're concerned, there's nothing outside of that, that matters. Um, there's nothing else outside that, that like, there's nothing else available to even do. There's no other jobs there's being a team leader, there's being a squad leader. <laughs> that is it, you know? And then I came up to the regimental staff and then you realize that like, while the rifle platoon might be the most important like element in the Ranger regiment, right? It's the most important like fighting element that we have. Um, there's a lot of stuff to do in the Ranger regiment to support rifle platoons and to support our, our readiness. So recruiting is part of that. And uh, it's been a kind of a, a fun, interesting challenge the past couple of years. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, it's sort of like going out uh, and even in the private sector and uh, for those that know that before they come into active duty or those that when they transition out, I mean, you end up going out and being maybe in the manufacturing line or that type of thing. And then you get up in the front office and the support element and you realize that you're there to support the rest of the organization and you have to learn all of these different components. Think very, think very much around the strategic side. I mean, your role is pretty much, you know, a little bit more strategic than it is tactical now. Yeah. And trying to fill the ranks. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And there's a there's a definite learning curve too. You know, you spend eight nine years doing infantry stuff, right? Learning how to like fire and maneuver with a team, squad, platoon, or within a company. Yeah. And then you move up to recruiting, which is really it's like you exist in the personnel world, and there's like a there's a significant language barrier. Um, not to mention like knowing how things work, but knowing like what people are talking about 
when they throw all these new army acronyms at you, you know? I thought, I thought I had a good handle on acronyms in the army. And as you know, like the army loves acronyms. And then I moved from like the infantry world to the, the personnel world and it's a, it's a whole different ball game. Well, yeah, go ahead. It seems like a good job from your leadership recognizing from like a talent management standpoint of yeah. this guy's got the got the face, got the got the assets, got the things that you can you need to go out and start recruiting and especially putting them at Sand Hill. Like you're the front line for the Joes there, like, hey, who wants to come do what I did? Yeah. That's I'm, huge. Like you can't just put anybody over there. Yeah, if if I'm being completely honest to you, when I when I agreed to do the job I had no idea what it was. Yeah. I uh I was I think I was gonna go over and be Rasp Cadre. Um and then shortly before my, my final deployment with third third battalion uh the, the now RSM, who was my battalion CSM at the time, reached out through my company first art and said, hey, like the, the airborne liaison job is opening up, like ask Tagami if he wants to do it. And I heard the Sergeant Major Johnson was like, hey, like Tagami, he's mentioned me by name with this specific job in mind. So I was like, yeah, I'll do it. I like, I had no clue what it was, but <laughs> CSM, awesome. re- CSM recommended me for it. So I was like, yeah, sure, I'll do it. Yeah. Absolutely. Sometimes that becomes voluntold though, yeah. um, as opposed to volunteered. Yeah, I mean, it, it it was definitely not a voluntold situation. I think if I had said no, they probably would have found somebody else. Um, but I just kind of implicitly trusted that he was, like, looking out for the organization, looking out for me. And yeah. uh, it's worked out. It's been great. That's awesome. No, it's a great story because, um, again, sometimes in big army, it's more of a voluntold situation. I think around here, what you guys have been able to do in terms of finding the talent and if they have weaknesses in some area, hey, they joined the regiment, they've already made it through RASP, they came in and they're just not cutting it out there on the line. There may be other opportunities that you guys still try to retain that soldier because they're an outstanding soldier. Um, those types of things don't always happen in a big army. Yeah, you know? absolutely. I mean, I think that uh, if, you're, if you're capable of getting into the range regiment, right, especially if you can get here and stay here for a few years, um, Right. The range regiment itself is not for everybody. Right. It's a, it's a, we're a selective organization. There are certain qualities that you kind of have to have to be successful here. Uh, but not everyone is the same. Not everybody's talents are, are the same. So while somebody might not be the perfect, you know, the perfect fit for, you know, job X, like there's this other thing, job Y, that they might actually be really good at. So uh, from a talent management perspective, I think we do a pretty good job of that. You know, oh, you do a great job yeah, at that. So. So because of that, we're going to go into a lot more about the recruiting aspect. How do you get in um, if you're on active duty still? How do you get in and getting in, meaning into the regiment, meaning. So maybe we take it back into we've got a lot of photos here around the room. But, you know, the history, maybe explain a little bit back about how Rangers even came about. And it's got a long history. There was a bit of a break and then it kicked back up again um, and then to today's role. But. Even going back in its original time frame, Ranger Regiment, or at least not Ranger Regiment, but Rangers have been around for a long time frame, going back to early America. Yeah, absolutely. So the Ranger Regiment traces its lineage back all the way through like pre-revolutionary, like kind of colonial America. Um, the term Ranger is based on the word range, which really just kind of meant like doing what you'd think of as like a patrol, right? Moving long distances over land. You know, whether it's behind enemy lines or just to do reconnaissance or whatever, right? Like a long distance movement, usually without any real support. Um, So that's kind of like where we kind of trace our lineage all the way back there. Some of the more like significant moments or like, you know, eras in Ranger history. Um, Obviously, like we probably would start with like World War Two. Right. I mean, World War Two obviously is like. Um, the first time that like, you know, formal Ranger battalions were activated, you know, starting with first battalion under uh, 
Colonel William O. Darby. Um, you know, a lot of like super heroic, super like impactful stuff that happened under like, you know, uh, the leadership or the, like the tactical expertise of Rangers, right. Whether it's taking the cliffs of Point to Hawk on D-Day in Normandy, um, you know, securing like the beachhead at Omaha, um, a lot of like, you know, last minute decisions based on initiative and audacity that kind of like won the day and like opened up the continent for the allies to like, you know, win the war like at the end of the day. Um, all the way through, you know, Korea, there's Ranger companies, Vietnam Ranger companies, they're the, they're the LERPs, right? The long, long range reconnaissance patrol units. Um, but all, all the way up through Vietnam, Ranger units were usually like, you know, activated for a temporary period of time mm -hmm. to fill a certain need, right? Um, like in Vietnam, they needed, there's a need for like long range reconnaissance, um, you know, folks that were willing to go out into some pretty dangerous areas behind enemy lines, you know, harass supply lines, um, basically disrupt the enemy's ability to like have a cohesive front. Um, but they all were activated and then assigned and in support of divisions generally, or, you know, maybe a subordinate unit to a division. But, um, 1974 general Abrams, who was the chief of staff of the army at the time, uh, ordered the activation of a actual permanent ranger battalion, right? So 1974 is when first ranger battalion was activated, followed shortly by second ranger battalion. And General Abrams' intent with that was to have a unit that was basically the standard bearer for the rest of the of the rest of the army. Um, the the army after Vietnam was not an all volunteer force. There's people who were there who did not want to be there. Uh, there's a lot of discipline issues. A lot of like you know, there's there's stuff wrong. Um, and he wanted a unit that would exist that would be like, hey, this is what right looks like. Um, this is how we, we this is how you do X or Y or Z. Um, this is what it looks like to be disciplined. Um, so since 74, we've existed, right? Um, 1984 is when the regimental headquarters and then third ranger battalion were activated, um, which kind of gets us to like the cohesive, like regimental unit that we exist in as today, all ranger lineage, you know, back to the colonial era was uh, attributed to the ranger regiment. Um, but since 1974, pretty much every time America's found herself overseas fighting somebody, the ranger regiment has been there for the most part, right? There's probably a few, uh, you know, exceptions, but Grenada in 1983, Panama, yeah, Ranger yeah. Airfield seizure, Panama in 89, uh, Desert Storm, not as significantly involved, but there's a lot of tank battles going on, Desert Storm, stuff like that, and we don't have any tanks. Right. So, <laughs> so it's a little, little harder to be like meaningfully involved there. Um, obviously, you got Gothic Serpent in 93 in Somalia. Um, obviously, it was kind of like a, a hallmark moment in Ranger history. Um, also like significant for the army as a whole, because it kind of taught us a lot of stuff about modern combat, um, in a way that like hadn't been learned yet. Um, and we're still, we still like, in, we still reap the benefits of the lessons learned over that, you know, 36, 48 hour period, like today. Um, then obviously global war on terrorism, uh, October 19th, 2001, uh, elements of third ranger battalion conducted a, a combat jump into objective Rhino in Afghanistan. Um, it was arguably the first actual ground combat operation that took place in the war. Um, and then since that date, Ranger Edwards have been deployed in support of uh, either the global war on terrorism or counterterrorism operations across the globe. Yeah, incredible history, long history, like you're talking about. Um, what's interesting also about this whole thing is that we just introduced a new intro music um, that's actually developed by someone who was part of the Ranger uh, Regiment. Then after that, ended up going and becoming a operator with Delta. 
and uh, started a band with a guy named Jason Everman, uh, who was uh, also a ranger, went on to 10 Special Forces Group, but prior to that was in Nirvana and Soundgarden. Um, they formed a band, and uh, these guys rock out, go across all different parts of America, doing concerts and giving everything that they make back to the veteran community, uh, the band Silence and Light. And so we wanted to showcase them with this being our basically our first episode using this new intro music, and we couldn't fit of a you know think of a better fitting place. Yeah, that's and, awesome. Yeah, to kick the whole thing yeah, off. So cool. shout out to those guys for allowing us to start using their music as our intro and everything. But now getting into that, so. You know, taking it from the historical aspect of it, people are always going to say, so what is the mission of the regiment? What, what is the, if you end up joining 75th Ranger Regiment, you know, what is how is that different from Big Army other than the discipline part of it and the things that you guys established for your long history? So the, the Ranger Regiment is uh, is tasked to plan and conduct joint special operations in support of U.S. policy and objectives. Right. That's kind of like a fancy way of really saying, like, um, we specialize in a few like specific things. A good way to think about it is like offensive operations, right? So um, we're, we're the, the nation's premier direct action raid force. So we have a lot of experience at, at it over the past, you know, 21 years uh, fighting Afghanistan, Iraq, Syria, wherever. Um, we are extremely good at conducting a raid into enemy territory to capture or kill a high value target, capture, you know, enemy equipment, terrain, whatever. Uh, one of the other things that we do that's like one of our like kind of hallmarks is a uh, joint forceful entry right so um basically be able to seize an airfield see some piece of key terrain um and there, we do that for a variety of reasons but it's one of the things that we can do and we can probably do it better and faster than any other unit out there um what the ranger regiment does as well is it, it offers an option to you know whether it's like you know army level leaders or people on the joint staff uh we're, we're an option um so being a special operations unit, we're kind of unique because we're organized as an infantry regiment made up of infantry battalions and companies and platoons. So we bring a lot of firepower to bear. Um, you know, a, a special forces operational detachment alpha, you know, 12 to 14, you know, green berets. Um, they're gonna work by with or through a partner force. They bring a lot of firepower to bear there, but maybe with a little bit less precision because your partner force might be a little bit of an unknown commodity in terms of like, you know, how, how how much restraint they have or, you know, their, their actual tactical ability. <coughs> a ranger platoon though, um, it's a platoon, you know, depending on like the, the day or the month or the year, you know, 30 to 40 rangers, highly trained, extremely precise, capable of exercising extreme restraint. Um, so within the, the stakes are high, the needs great. It's politically sensitive. Um, if you want something done and you want there to be not too much destruction on the periphery, like a ranger company or platoon is actually an extremely good option. Um, contrary to popular belief, we have the reputation in the special operations community of being just a sledgehammer and you just throw it through a plate glass window and everything comes down with it. Um, the, the death blossom. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. We have the reputation of we just destroy everything yeah. in our wake and everything that's burning when we leave. We can do that. Absolutely. <laughs> um, we'd be happy to. Yeah. But generally speaking, though, like we are, we're extremely precise. Like awesome. we, we offer an option that presents less risk of collateral damage than most other options out there. So um, that's kind of what we do. Um, it's a common question to hear, too, is like, is the range regiment an infantry unit or is it a special operations unit? The answer is yes. Yeah. Yeah, we're, we're both at the same time equally. Um, we, we do like if if a, an infantry company or you know, a, a infantry NCO from like a, a unit, you know, in the 82nd or the 101st or 10th Mountain 
came and looked at our training calendar for our training cycle, they would recognize 90 plus percent of what we do, right? We're doing fundamental like infantry training, battle drill, live fires, you know, starting at maybe the team level squad platoon company. We're like, it's, it's nothing like super crazy, right? Um, we have equipment and resources and assets that make what we do like a special operations, right? And then like the people that we work with and the missions that we're assigned, um, we have some specific capabilities that also like make us special operations as well. But by and large, like we were just extremely, extremely good at the fundamental like stuff about being infantrymen and doing infantry stuff. Let's go down to where units are within, you know, the regiment. So you've already mentioned regimental headquarters here and um, third battalion. But then there's another element as well. And then they're across the other parts of the country. So maybe. Yeah, so here at Fort Moore, there's actually three Ranger Battalions. So there's the 3rd Ranger Battalion is here. The Regimental Military Intelligence Battalion is also at Fort Moore, along with the Regimental Special Troops Battalion. Uh, the Regimental Headquarters is also here. 1st um, Ranger Battalion is at Hunter Army Airfield in Savannah, Georgia. And then 2nd Ranger Battalion is up at Joint Base Lewis-McChord in uh, Washington State, kind of like the Tacoma area. Mm -hmm. So. If you're a ranger, you're in, you're in one of those three places. Yeah. And so for those who are not familiar, Fort Moore is um, now the new name for Fort Benning. I had a lot of people comment about that. They're like, where is Fort Moore? Yeah. Um, so that's the, the name change that recently occurred. Yeah. Sometimes I see Fort Moore and I'm like, where, where are they talking? About? <laughs> I, I've been here for over a decade and it's been Fort Benning the entire time. So yeah. every once in a while I look at it and I still don't recognize it. It's hard for both yeah. of us because we were here stationed at Fort Benning at different time frames, And it's the same thing. It's hard to drive into the post and see Fort Moore signs everywhere and you feel like you're in a different location. It's like, you know, Fort Benning's somewhere else. This, mm. this is now, you know, this is Fort Moore. So, um, so we ran through all the different, um, elements and stuff. So you mentioned a few though, you mentioned the STB, you mentioned, um, RMIB. So, um, you got first, second, and third that are primarily more of your, your strike, infantry um, units and such, but then you have these other areas. So maybe we can dive into a little bit about what they do and how they differ. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, so like you said, first, second, and third battalions, they're infantry battalions um, organized with three rifle companies a piece, a specialty platoon company, right? They're, they do everything from, you know, reconnaissance, the snipers are over there, um, the mortar platoons, stuff like that, right? And then all of like, you know, the battalion internal enabling um, MOSs. Uh, the Special Troops Battalion, uh, that's where we have our uh, selection and training company. So they run our selection programs, so RASP-1, RASP-2. Uh, they also run our pre-ranger program, which is Small Unit Ranger Tactics, or CERT. Um, RSTB also has our reconnaissance company. Um, they specialize in you know, special reconnaissance and some other kind of like secretive, you know, they do some, like, some cool guy stuff. Um, it's, a, it's a unit within the Ranger Regiment that they just have like a, a pretty pretty like a specific niche like highly technical skill set um and then the intel battalion again also here at fort moore uh there's a there's a, a myco over there right so intel company um we have a, a uas platoon right they fly all manner of uh, uas army and soft peculiar um, and they have uh sema which is a cyber electromagnetic activities company um so it's going to be like your electronic warfare um, cyber TSD, like stuff like that. Um, what the, what the Intel battalion does for us is it allows us to like have a far more robust, like intelligence infrastructure, like regimentally. Um, but then they're also able to, you know, support an infantry or a rifle battalion, um, whether that's forward 
um, or from the rear here. So it just it gives us a, a, a lot more options in terms of like intelligence. Yeah, we formally did an episode with our MIB, and you guys can go back and listen to that. We may update that here in the uh, near future as well. But I think that was a capability that the organization would really rely on Big Army uh, to, for support. And by having, you know, by bringing that uh, into your overall capabilities, it allowed those individuals to be very hyper focused on the mission the Ranger Regiment needs to conduct. And so by gaining that skills and knowledge and bringing that in-house, it really kind of heightened um, the regiment's strike capability. Yeah, overall. Yeah. And one of the other things that it does for us, too, um, when we were when the Ranger Regiment was activated by General Abrams, right, He there was a thing called Abrams Charter. Um, we have a couple charters that like were kind of like guiding documents for the organization. Um, they're all written by Chiefs of Staff of the Army, so Generals Abrams, Wickham, Sullivan, Odierno. Uh, one of like the key parts of like a lot of the messaging that was like laid out for like what we are supposed to do as an organization is to innovate, um, innovate like, you know, on the infantry level, like, you know, whether it's weapons, equipment, you know, TTPs, we're supposed to kind of like, you know, be at the cutting edge and then share what we learn with like the rest of the force. Um, having an Intel battalion in house allows us to innovate in that space. Um, and maybe help drive some like good positive change for the rest of the army as well. Yeah, love it. All right, so we're gonna go now into probably a little bit more. Now we've done the back, and everybody understands the location, what it, uh, the history is, and what you guys do. Now there's a lot of listeners out there that are wanting to know, well, how do I get in? And so there's multiple different ways that we're gonna talk about. Let's talk about first though, the initial entry. So somebody goes down to the recruiter um, and uh, wants to come into um, 75th Ranger Regiment. Um, you have a number of different options that people are very confused by because everybody hears about option 40. That's been plastered all over the place. So for those of you who are not aware of option 40, option 40 is an option within the contract that guarantees that you're going to come to regiment or at least to RASP, I should say, to be able to get through the, uh, in the assessment and selection. So I don't think there's any question on that route. But maybe we can go into the other avenues that I don't think a lot of people are really familiar with. Everybody thinks they've got to get option yeah. 40. Yeah. And this absolutely. is where you're really good at because this is where you came yeah. from. Yeah. You know? And that's a it's a super it's a super common like question that we get to, obviously. Right. Um, and it's partially due to the fact that, you know, historically speaking, the option 40 was the way the way. Right. There wasn't alternative options if you were like brand new to the army. Um, so we have a lot of like, you know, Ranger alumni out there telling, you know, their friends, their sons, daughters, nieces, nephews, whoever, like, Hey, like, you better get an option for it. You better get it in yes. writing or you walk out of that recruiting station. Yes. Um, which kind of makes it hard for us because like, that's not the case anymore. Um, so one of the, the, the primary thing that we do to kind of like, you know, help ourselves in recruiting is we have Ranger NCOs who act as liaisons for the recruiting detachment, right? So they liaise between the Ranger regiment and like whatever installation we send them to we have them there's one here again like i said that's my, my previous job um over on sand hill so it's infantry osit and then he also covers airborne school so he's out there recruiting out of osit and airborne school yeah, yeah i remember when i was going through airborne school it was just kids it's like you know guy in a tambourine comes up and says who wants to go to rasp yeah. and he's like skinny kids like oh i do sergeant yeah. like oh you're gonna get pounded for yeah you're, you're done no, bro. yeah airborne school used to be like the the target of opportunity spot yeah. that we like really yeah. look for folks um because uh, the beauty of it was airborne school is kind of like a, a pre-screen right if you can you know make it through basic training ait get to airborne school graduate then 
you're already at least part of the way there. You've yeah. proven that you've, you're brave enough to jump out of an airplane. You're not willing to quit if stuff is moving. You at least care it. enough to, yeah, to, like, to make it that far. Um, yeah. But we, uh, yeah, so, so Fort, Fort Moore here, one liaison. We have two of them at Fort Gordon. They're both actually communicators, and they work up at like the Signal and Cyber AIT location up at Fort Gordon. So, again, through all like the 25 series and then like the 17 Echo and Whiskey, um, or Echo and Charlie, not Whiskey. Uh, MOS is up there, Fort Gordon, uh, looking for volunteers, right? So, um, Fort Jackson, we have one. Fort Greg Adams, we have two. Greg Adams is also a new one that used to be Fort Lee. Okay, you yeah. threw me for a loop there. Yeah. I, saw, I saw the looks. Yeah, <laughs> no. uh, Fort Greg Adams was like formerly known as Fort Lee. Uh, and then we have one at Fort Leonard Wood, one at Fort Sill, and one at Fort Wachuca. So effectively, if you are enlisting in the Army, an MOS that we have in the Ranger Regiment, there's a liaison there for there's you. There's a liaison that's going to be at your AIT location. Yeah. And if you don't get an Option 40 contract, either because you didn't know about it, and you just wanted to be in the Army and be a, an Intel specialist, um, or because one wasn't available, or whatever, if you enlist in the Army and show up at AIT, if you are qualified, right, meaning that you have the requisite GT score, we do offer waivers for GT on a case-by-case -case so basis. So 105 GT, correct? A 105 GT requirement. Yeah. You must be a U.S. citizen that is not waverable. Um, you must be eligible to, to gain and maintain a secret security clearance, also not waverable. Um, it's a definite requirement to have a, you know, eligibility for a clearance here. Um, if that stuff is all true, right, and you are physically fit and you want to go to RASP, you can go to RASP, right? The liaison can get one piece of paper, you initial it in six places, sign it at the bottom, we submit that thing, and then we redirect you, right? Your orders are gonna get deleted, whatever the original ones were, put you on assignment to RASP. And the other thing that's happening out at those places is those NCOs are leading PT every day with all the folks out there with option 40 contracts or who volunteered during AIT. Um, so they're kind of doing PT that's geared towards like success at RASP one. So at OSET, I'm going through it. How do I find you? Do you find me? Because are you going to come there and give a presentation or I got to go to my drill sergeant and say, Hey, I'm, you know, I've heard about this other opportunity. I didn't get an option for yeah, you. So uh, we're going to find you pretty much. Right. So uh, most of the installations are our liaisons like have a brief that's part of like the mandatory, like newcomers brief when they arrive between BCT and AIT um, on Sand Hill. We don't do a newcomers brief, but he's gonna, we're going to brief every single company, usually twice per cycle. Um, that being said, it is possible that when the brief happens for your company, you're on a detail or you're at the aid station or you're at dental or, you know, whatever. Um, if you if you haven't seen the uh, Ranger liaison and you want to go to RASP and like, you just haven't you haven't had a chance to meet and talk with them yet, talk to your drill sergeant, you know, like, hey, uh, I'm interested in going to RASP. Like, can, can I get linked up with the, the Ranger LNO? Um, usually they'll facilitate it for you. So, OK, covering back option 40, I go down to maps with my recruiter, find out option 40 is not available. No sweat. If I can at least get an airborne contract, I, I know I'm going to meet you probably at OSIT and airborne. Um, so I have my options there. If I go uh, into one of the MOSs and I end up at OSET, I'm going to see you once, maybe twice throughout my time period, going through the basic and advanced individual training that's called one station unit training for those MOSs that call it OSET. Um, so I have that opportunity as well. So the, you've given them many opportunities to say no, plenty of opportunities to say yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, 
And what we find too is that the the folks that do like volunteer during OSIT during AIT, um, I think it may be partially like an expectation management thing, right? The the civilian that enlists with an option forty contract, a lot of them have done all their research. They know exactly what they're getting into. Um, and they show up prepared and ready to go. A lot of them, though, I think either the recruiters like, hey, there's also, if you want to be, you know, infantry, there's also this like option forty thing that's available. I'm like, yeah, that sounds cool, you know. And they get, and then they realize that like they're maybe in a little over their heads. Um, and success rate for the option forty contract, is not it's not great, right? I mean, it's uh, it's not for everybody. Um, the folks we find during AIT, they're volunteering to do something hard in the army but they've been in the army for a little while. So I think they have some, some context for kind of what they're getting themselves into. So we actually see a pretty good success rate out of those folks that volunteered during AIT. And you know those individuals because you had a chance to see their PT score, how well they're doing physically, you know, their GT, all of that kind of stuff. And so you're kind of sizing them up at the same time frame. whereas option 40, like you're saying, it could just be, it's, it's a portion of your contract. It doesn't meet anything until you, the rubber meets the road and you yeah. gotta, you gotta yeah, show up. The, the other, the other real advantage too, is that, um, being able to do PT with like the, either the option 40 contractees or the, the folks that volunteer, um, we can do PT. We, we got some pretty nice PT equipment out of all those installations. Um, and we're going to do some stuff that's not like just, it's all like super safe vetted. We have programs built by our civilian trainers on at our, you know, human performance center and stuff. But, um, you know, we have like some, some rogue worms. And we have, you know, sandbags and some kettlebells. And we're going to do some, like, some PT that's, like, physically uncomfortable, right? Because it's going to make it so that when you get to RASP-1, uh, the the shock to your system doing stuff that's very physically uncomfortable is maybe, like, tempered a little bit because you've done a little bit leading into it. Um, the other thing that I don't want to fail to mention, too, if you say you, you want to be an infantryman and you want to be a ranger, there's no option 40 contract available for you. So you just decide you're going to enlist anyways and volunteer with our LNO at Sand Hill. When you volunteer on Sand Hill, you go to RASP. If you're selected at RASP, you qualify for the option 40 bonus that was available to you at the time of your enlistment. That's an important takeaway. Nice. Yeah, based nice. on your MOS. So um, it's not a ton of money. The, the maximum dollar value for an option 40 bonus is $20,000. And then there's this tiered down to 10K and 5K. But... Um, if there's a bonus available for your MOS for an option 40 contract, even if you volunteer, uh, we can, we can get that bonus released to you if you're selected. That's an important takeaway. I think primarily for those uncles and, and former Rangers and everything else who were saying, no, you got to go option 40 cause you're going to miss out on the bonus. You just settled that. No, yeah. still there. Yeah. yeah. The, the, the money's there, right? If, if the money is like the primary concern, which yeah. in my experience, like the, uh, the money's honestly not like the, the really important part to most people. You know, I think generally people that want to be Rangers, like an extra 10k like cool um it's great obviously like nobody's gonna pass up on ten thousand dollars but um generally people want to be here because of what we talked about before right the legacy of this place right you can come and be a part of an organization that you know had a had a pretty significant hand in like you know beating the nazis in world war ii and you know doing some crazy hard heroic stuff during vietnam you know like it's uh, it's just a cool, it's a cool unit to be a part of to begin with. And I think most people that come here, it's more for those sort of reasons than a little extra cash in their pocket. So let's jump off of the regular Joe and go into maybe um, a couple of different areas. And that's uh, before we get into RASP, because I want to get into RASP and kind of cover that a little bit. But um, the prior service. So if you're an individual, wasn't big army or another branch of the service and you end up coming in, 
uh, if you've got to go through OSIT, you're still going to get those same types of options. Yeah, absolutely. So if you're if you're prior service and you're coming in the army and you require training, right? Because um, it is possible. Say you're you're an infantryman in the Marine Corps, right? you're an O three eleven, and you EAS out of the Corps, and you've been out for you know eight months, a year, and you decide you want to be back in the military, and you choose the army, and you choose infantry, you're probably not going to require any training, right? If you're an infantryman in the Marine Corps, as long as you haven't been out long enough that that like your qualification has elapsed, so to speak. Um, I don't know the exact time period off the top of my head. I think it's like two or three years. Um, you come back in, you're just going to go to a unit because we consider you like a, a qualified, you know, an MOS qualified, you know, soldier. Um, but if you do come in and you do require going to, even if it's just AIT, right, whether you've changed MOSs or you've been out long enough that you do have to come back in and do some training to get reblued, um, you'll you'll be able to talk to a ranger. I don't know if you want to go to RASP, you can volunteer and come to RASP. We're going to talk just a minute about the inner uh, service, you know, or inner transfers and stuff. But um, officers coming in, um, you guys, do you still uh, not pick them up until first lieutenant? I can't remember. Yeah, so it's it's less dependent on rank and more dependent on experience. Okay. Um, so I'll use I'll use infantry as an example because it's like a, a pretty straightforward one. So if you want to come to the ranger regiment and be an infantry platoon leader, uh, the first thing you're going to do obviously is. I bolt. You're gonna do the infantry basic officer leaders course. You're gonna, you know, become an infantry PL, right? Probably go to a regular unit. You'll probably, you know, work in their S3 shop, get an infantry platoon. Um, side note: Ranger school after I bolt, go to Ranger school, get your Ranger tab. If you don't, it's gonna be a lot harder for most, you. Most most officers either have a story or a tab. Yeah, if you're if you're an 11 <laughs> alpha, if you're an 11 <laughs> alpha, like you, you're you're not even eligible to apply like under any circumstances without a ranger tab. So, um, but getting back on track here, um, do your PL time. Um, once you're in your PL time, right? Once you're in that first KD position as a junior officer, uh, that's when we want you to start your application. Um, application is all online on like the AIM marketplace, so it's kind of like the kind of like the officer career management like site. Oh, okay. Um, you're gonna go in there, submit a request for the Ranger Regiment, and then all the information for how to build your application, required documents. It's all all in there. Build your application out, and then you have to get at least six months of key development time, so PL time um, as a as a JO, and then you'll get looked at. Right, you're gonna be competing against. You know every other 11 alpha junior officer who is like in like in the application portal um we're gonna look at your your paper application right the you know say first battalion wants to hire you know two or three more you know 11 alpha like first lieutenants to come in bpls in their organization because they're gonna lose three and you know six months eight months whatever the case they're gonna look in that portal and see all these applications they're gonna see who's available at the appropriate time and then who's gonna um, their timeline allows the uh, appropriate amount of time for them to serve in the organization once they're selected. And then the most of the assessment that takes place is going to be like that paper application, right? They're going to look at your letters of recommendation. They'll look at your officer evaluation report. Um, if you don't have one yet, you can still start your application, by the way, that, that OER. Um, but we're going to basically assess you based on the opinion of your your current and past supervisors and based on your work history, like within the army. And then that battalion, if they decide that they're going to hire you, like they hire you, like you will have a job in the Ranger Regiment and then you'll come to RASP 2 and you will prove during RASP 2 that you are who you said you were on paper. And if you prove that you are who you said you were, the job is yours. You'll go back home, clear PCS. 
you if you fail to prove that you are who you said you were on paper we're, we're back to the drawing board finding the next you know qualified applicant to to come and fill that position so before we get to RASP 1 and 2, um, in-service. So somebody's on active duty, even whether they're prior service, because let's say they didn't require the training. Um, they're in an individual who's just in big army, and they go, hey, I've always wanted to, or I'm listening to this, and I'm thinking maybe I want to go into it, but I'm a E3, E4, E5, E6. But I've got an MOS that lines up, or I may not have an MOS that lines up. What's the story? So there's options for uh, for both of those. Um, the biggest thing is just send us an email. Right? Our our in service like you know recruiting mailbox is seven five recruit at socom.mil. Not not too complicated, but um, send us an email there with just kind of a brief synopsis of like kind of who you are. Um, good good practices on that first email. Send us your you know, your soldier talent profile, which is the new ERB. Um, send us one of those things. Send us a PT card, and if you're an NCO, send us your NCOERs. Um, we'll look at it, screen it to make sure that you're like actually qualified to be in the organization. And then based on your MOS, we'll let like the senior enlisted um, leader in like that you know, career management field take a look at your your screening documents, and then we'll send you an application, complete that thing, return it to us, and uh, we'll get you a date to to come and attend RASP. Um, if you're an MOS that we don't have in the Ranger Regiment. Um, probably can't hire you as your MOS, but if you just want to be a Ranger, we can probably work out with you reclassing when you do come to the Ranger Regiment. Um, what it would probably look like is you would get it kind of like a, a list of options or you tell us like what you're thinking you'd like to do, um, we'd bring you out here, have you assess, and then if you're selected, we'll send you to whichever battalion you're going to do, and then you just be sitting out there pending a, a class seat for AIT to reclass. Um, definitely an option though. Uh, the other big thing is that if somebody's interested in coming to the Ranger Regiment, um, two things to know, one of them being that, uh, contrary to popular belief, you cannot re-enlist for RASP, right? RASP is not a, an award that can be given out yeah. um, as part of a re-enlistment. Um, you, can, you, you can always come to RASP, right? Second thing, if you're in your re-enlistment window and you're considering going to RASP, it may be worth talking to us before you re-enlist because there's a pretty good chance that the selective retention bonus for your MOS and the range regiment is significantly higher than it is across the rest of the force. So um, might be worth talking to us and figuring out if you're going to come and assess and then working through with career counselors either at your unit or at our unit um, what the best course of action is to ensure that like, you're maximizing like you know, the amount of money available to you for that re-enlistment. Somebody asked a question that we're going to get to the Q&A of some of the people uh, who brought up their questions, but I'm going to go ahead and maybe ask it right here. I'm an E5 or an E6. You've just told me basically there's nothing that you won't at least listen to and, and entertain. Um, and it's more about can you pass RASP and get in and we'll work with you outside of that. Am I going to get busted Am I, if I'm an E5 or an E6 and I don't have the MOS that aligns? Um, is there that concern? No, I mean, if you're, if you're, uh, you know, if you're an NCO, right. And you've, you just want to reclass, like if you're depending on what MOS you're trying to reclass to, like if you're a staff sergeant, um, generally it's harder to find a, you know, a, an AIT class seat to reclass somebody, the higher in rank they get, um, it gets more complicated. Um, but it's not going to require you to like reduce in rank or anything like that. Um, the only time that rank really comes into play when it comes to you know, applying to, to come and serve in the organization is if you're 
if you're an infantryman and you're E5 or above, you have to be Ranger qualified to apply. So if you haven't gone to Ranger school yet, um, there's, it's just not, it's not available to you. Um, if you're a 13 Fox, right? So if you're a forward observer, um, if you're a E6 or above, you have to be Ranger qualified. Um, and then there's also, again, there's, there's stuff with like certain training and qualifications that they have that make it also more complicated to come over the more senior that you are. And then if you're a medic, um, if you're E4P or above, you have to be SOC and qualified to apply and E6 or above, you have to be Ranger qualified to apply. So there's, um, there's some nuance for those kind of like MOSs right there, right? Mostly it's Ranger qualification and then some of like the, you know, the MOS specific training for observers and medics, but um, apart from those, generally speaking, like we would prefer that you reach out to us and ask the question, then self-select and just assume that like you're, you're not qualified or not eligible for some reason. The important takeaway there though, for the, you know, having be already, you know, Ranger qualified is that let's face it, when you're in regiment, you do get in, you pass RASP. I mean, three, E3, E4, E5, somewhere along through there, you're going to Ranger school. So if you're going to be coming in, um, you know, as an E, uh, E5 or E6, that's the expectation is that, well, if you've already gone through Ranger school, then we know, you know, you understand at least what Rangers are, are supposed to do. You've gone through the, the big um, portion of that. But to come in and transfer in, let's say, as an E5 or E6, people need to understand you're coming in, and then you guys pay to go uh, to them to go to Ranger School after passing RASP. Um, that's not only expensive, but then it's just another additional thing that they may wash out, something may happen, then you've got to reassign. It's just a lot of stuff that you guys are trying to avoid. That's the reason why in a yeah, lot of cases. Absolutely. Right? And, and the, one of the other things too is in the Ranger Regiment, if you're an infantryman, if you're not Ranger qualified, like you're probably not going to make Sergeant in this organization, right? Like it's just, it's going to be not possible. Um, you need to be ranger qualified and make sergeant or above as an infantryman. So it, in order to like, you know, keep everybody to the same standard, right? Cause we're a standards based organization. The standard for promotion to sergeant here is ranger qualification. So we can't then hire somebody from the outside to come in who hasn't met the same standard that we hold ourselves to internally. So, yeah. um, now how likely is that now? Let's say I'm a, I'm an E6 at Fort Bragg, and I want to. I'm Ranger qualified. Liberty now. I'm sorry, yeah, Liberty. Fort Liberty. Um, how how what's how, what, what's the percentage? I guess how many of those guys do you guys have around here? Like guys that are transplants. Yeah, yeah there's transplants. A, there's, a, there's a decent amount, right? Um, I, I think that if more applied, you would probably have more of them. Yeah. Um, and again, the the higher you get in rank, right? Like the, the rank structure is pyramid shaped, so. Yeah. If we have a million staff sergeants applying, like we can only afford to hire, you know, so many because like we're also producing staff sergeants in house through sergeants who are promoting. So um, there's some of that, but generally speaking, like if you're if you're qualified and you apply, if we have space for you, we're going to bring you out and assess you and see if you're a good fit. Um, there's not like any, oh well, you're a staff sergeant and you're not like in the ranger regiment, so we're just going to pass on you. Like that's not how it works. It's just the reality is, is we, we might not have space for you. Yeah, it was always uh, like disparaging for the infantry guys. Like they figured once they got to five, even if they were tabbed or not, like they didn't grow up becoming a five in regiment. So they didn't think that they even had a chance. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that it, I, I've heard that from a bunch of folks too. They think that, um, 
they're going to be a second class citizen or yeah. they're going to whatever the reality is is the ranger regiment is a performance based right it's a merit-based organization if you show up and you know what you don't know and you know what you do know and you work hard and you're hungry to learn like you'll be fine right we've seen a lot of folks who come over after you know being in the you know in the regular army 101st 82nd you know having done platoon sergeant in the 82nd and they come over and they get a squad in the ranger regiment and for some people that might be like a kind of a tough move um but they're super hard worker and they're hungry. And the next thing you know, like they're a Ranger Company first sergeant, you know, six, seven, eight years later. Staff sergeant. I mean, uh, well, there was a guy named Jason Belford who's been on this uh, podcast and hosted with me for many episodes and stuff. Came in as a transplant from 10th Mount. He came in as a E6. Um, I think left here as an E8. Um, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that's that just demonstrates right there um, that that. The self-select piece is what's so important to this whole story. So, I it, feel like that's probably fifty percent of y'all's problem. It, yeah, yeah it's like just guys just don't give it's up. Not possible. Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. I mean, even even the folks who have a slot and they show up to come to the course. Like one of the one of the biggest problems we have is the number of people that quit before they'll even start RASP one. Right, like, and we don't know why they quit necessarily. They, we we ask them, like, give them a little survey and ask them why. Question: Their responses are generally all the same. You know, they don't want to. They don't want to keep training. They uh, have family issues. They, you know, they just don't think they're going to fit in or whatever. But um, if we could just get people to come and like let us do the assessment and selection instead of them doing it for themselves, um, I think people might be surprised if they just actually gave it a shot. Um, it's, it's, there's nothing. There's no special sauce, right? There's no magic. Hard work discipline 90 percent regular army infantry tactics yeah and just, just yeah and just don't quit you yeah. know like that's it like i mean um like i said obviously it's not for everybody but i think of all like you know the thousands and thousands of people that have quit the program before even trying over the past few years like if they all came and actually gave it a shot i think a lot of them would be surprised at the outcome yeah let me go back um somebody asked a question and this might be a good time frame you mentioned about junior officers what about field grade uh, so if you're a field grade officer, um, it gets a, it's a slightly different process. Um, we, we generally do our field grade officer selection at uh, Fort Leavenworth in Kansas every year. Um, just because when we're, when we're doing the selection to hire those folks, they're generally in ILE. So the, the preponderance of them are at Leavenworth, like in school. So we go to them to make it simpler. Um, that way they don't have to try and work out some crazy travel schedule so they're not missing class and still making it. We, we, we bring it out there and do it like um, on site. Um, and again, every year, the requirement for like the specific duty positions we're hiring for changes slightly um, based on the timeline of like, you know, we hired, you know, uh, an engineer last year, so we don't need one this year, but next year we will need. Um, so there's some difference to it. Um, well, actually, we're, we'll be doing it this September, um, but it's, a, it's an important event for us. Um, but yeah. The other officer option would be obviously like your your captain level officer. Um, kind of the same thing as with like your your junior officer. Generally speaking, as an officer, you'll do KD twice. Once in the regular army, once in the ranger regiment. And then you'll go to PME, and then you'll go and do your job, do your KD in the regular army, redo KD here, PME. And it's kind of like a, it's, a, it's a rotation. So if you're an officer and you go to the captain's career course and then you go out and you command or you do whatever your you know, your captain KD time is again once you're in your KD time that's when you should be looking at probably like getting on our on the aim portal 
applying to come to RASP. And then if you're hired, you'll come to RASP. And if you're a commander in the regular army, you'll go through RASP, come to the Ranger Regiment, and you'll command again in the Ranger Regiment. Um, so it's a, it's a slightly different process than for the, the enlisted side, um, partially due to the fact that officer timelines are like, there's some pretty strict backstops, right? Whether it's the captain's career course or ILE, like they have very specific time windows when they're available to do their job in the regular army, uh, do their job with us. Um, and then depending on where they are in their career, broadening and then back to PME so they can keep, uh, keep moving. So, yeah. What about warrant officers? Uh, warrant officers is another one kind of similar to like the, the commissioned officer side. Um, we have, a, there's a, there's actually probably a lot more warrant positions available in the range regiment than people think. Um, everything from, you know, Intel, FA, you know, maintenance, there's, we had, we had a bunch of them. Um, but same kind of idea. Warrant officers have probably a little bit more flexible of a timeline than an actual commissioned officer does in terms of how long they can stay here. Application process is identical down to doing it on AIM. Um, they reach out to us, you know, tell us kind of who they are, what they want to do. And if they have questions, they can hit us up and ask, but really just get on aim, apply, bring you out here to assess. And then if you're selected, you'll, you'll go out and get to work. Now we get to talk about the fun part. So RASP one, RASP two. So I've made it through all the qualifications. I haven't self-selected this point because this is where I really want to be. And now there's two different categories based on your status of how you're coming into the regiment. So maybe first talk about the differences as to why you call it RASP1 versus RASP2, and then we'll talk about the differences in terms of, is there are there any differences in what they learn coming into the regiment? So I think that the, the best way to kind of explain the difference and like why there, why there are two different programs, right? Um, it's really based on, we, we, we have a bunch of questions we want answered about candidates. Um, for somebody who's a staff sergeant or above, who's the population that would be going to RASP to you, we can get the answers to those questions from, you know, whether it's annual evaluations, letters of recommendation, AERs, like their actual academic reports from like, you know, army courses and stuff. We can answer a lot of those questions on paper. Um, for somebody who's like brand new, straight out of basic training, the only way we can answer those questions is by like doing it ourselves. Um, so we're RASP to you, right? Three week course, staff sergeant and above, um, you're going to come over with some work experience, right? You'll, you'll have a body of work that we can use to review and vet you before you even come um, to make hiring decisions against. Uh, you're going to come and you're going to do all of the regimental like physical fitness standards. Um, so RFT, right now we're using an ACFT-based RFT, which is a, a change. It's going to be 41 hand-release push-ups in two minutes, a two-minute and 35-second plank, uh, five-mile five, five mile run in 40 minutes or less, and six chin-ups. So it's black and white, go, no-go. PT standard, like you, you got it or you don't. 12 mile road march, 35 pound ruck dry, add water, chest rack, helmet, weapon, and then do it in three hours or less, all right? RPAT, swim assessment, um, you're, you're hitting every regimental PT standard that's out there. Uh, you're gonna do some training, you know, be, you'll be in the field for a, for a period of time where we're gonna evaluate your, you know, your teamwork ability and your leadership ability and some stuff like that. Um, then you'll set a board um, where you'll be interviewed and effectively what we're doing there is are you ethically morally aligned with the ranger regiment and, and the ranger regiment's values um like how do you make decisions as a leader um how do you prioritize like you know whether it's training homework life balance like i mean everything um then they'll make a, an actual selection decision like that board makes that decision 
grasp one, we are, there's kind of like two differences, right? We have to, we have to answer a bunch of questions about you ourselves. So we can, if we look at somebody's NCOERs for the past six years, cause they're a staff sergeant and they've been a sergeant and we could probably have an idea of if this person is like a hard worker or if they are a good member of a team or if they're dependable. Um, if you've been in the army for, you know, three and a half months and you're straight out of AIT, like we, we have no way of knowing that. So we're going to have you do some pretty hard stuff. We're going to do the same physical standards as, as occur in RASP2. So RFT, 12 miler, do the swim assessment, like the whole nine, right? It's same standards for everybody, right? Whether you're the newest private in the Ranger Regiment or the Regimental Commander, um, there's one standard for everyone, okay? Um, you do some hard stuff. We're going we're gonna to put you in positions where we can get a really good look at who you really are and evaluate, are you a good member of a team? Um, are you a member of a team when you're stressed out, when your teammates are stressed out, when you're exhausted? Um, and then we're also going to train you some too. So RASP-1 is, there's a lot of training that takes place in RASP-1, whether it's land nav, right? Ranger first responder, which are in-house kind of like, you know, you know, first aid protocol, marksmanship, breaching, combatives. Um, there's a ton of assessment that takes place. You're being assessed the entire time, the whole eight weeks. Um, but the, co the course is broken into two phases, four weeks apiece. Um, phase two, like phase two, like the stuff you do in phase two is like the reason people join the army, you know, like you're going to shoot a lot. You're going to blow stuff up. You're going to like do some cool stuff. Like it's arguably like, it's not like bad. It's probably more fun than it is not fun. Um, the assessment's continuing that entire time though, right? Like you're, the reality is, I was about to say, you're not safe until you put that tambourine on your head, but that's not really Even true. Even then. That's not true either. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, you're not safe until you, uh, you retire. Yeah, you let's know? say every yeah. Yeah. Um, But we're, we're answering a bunch of questions ourselves about those, those candidates, and then we're also yeah. uh, training them up to kind of like baseline everybody. Because in RASP1, whether you're like a, you know, a, a network guy, you're a communicator, if you're a fueler, if you are a UAS like repairer or an infantryman, male, or female, it male, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Everybody's the same. You're getting the exact same training, the exact same number of rounds at the range. You're doing the same amount of breaching. Um, just kind of baselining everybody at like some like some pretty basic ranger stuff, right? Marksmanship, breaching, combatives, um, and then yeah, obviously you'll go to your battalion and. Then You've got like a, a skill set that's better than it was at the end of AIT. And it's also kind of like lining you up and like steering you in the direction of the way that the rest of the range regiment does stuff as well. Once again, never quit. Yeah. Just don't don't self-select. Yeah. Let, uh, let us do the assessment and selection. You just come and work hard. We'll do the rest. You guys have even had individuals, and we did this uh, discussing it on the RASP ep episode that we did many years ago, and it, you guys even expounded on that. I mean, if you get an individual that comes in, and as long as you're not self-selecting and you're really trying your best and doing everything that you can, you know, you guys will continue to work with that individual to some point. I mean, but obviously, if the, if the mental component is there... Um, and they've got a lot of the physical tools, you'll continue working with that individual to see if they can't continue to progress and make the right adjustments and yeah, stuff. So absolutely. I mean, I think, uh, I think another kind of uh, misconception about like the range regiment or our selection program is that like, we want people to fail. Um, that's the opposite is true. Like we want people to succeed. If we, if we wanted people to fail, like we, like our cadre run the course, like they could just fail everybody. Like, 
it, w- it doesn't make any sense though, because if, if we want everybody to fail, we would cease to exist as an organization. Yeah. You know, people are continuously getting out of the unit. So if we're not bringing new people into the unit, I guess what, at some point, we'll be incapable of doing our jobs, right? Like we want people to be successful. And like you said, if somebody's got like, you know, the, the appropriate attitude and they're motivated and they're working hard and they're just not quite there physically, like we're gonna work with them. Obviously that's not like an indefinite, we'll keep you in, you know, our selection and training company for two years and like work you up to be able to pass standards. Um, within a, a realistic amount of time though, like we'll, we'll work with you for sure. Well, if you walk around, uh, you know, regiment headquarters or third bat or any one of the other bats and stuff, it's not like you guys are have, you know, 21 inch neck and, you know, physically, I mean, there are guys obviously that are like that, but, but, um, I mean, you come in all sizes as well. So once again, um, don't self-select because you think, well, you know, I know that I, even at OSET, I, I was really physically fit, but man, you know, you're talking about this type of thing and you know, I'm a buck 50, buck 75. I don't think I can handle don't self-select come in go through the program let you guys do that yeah absolutely exactly so um you just mentioned i think so regardless of whether you're coming in brand new you're coming in as a transplant you're coming in transplant meaning officer warrant officer enlisted whatever you're going to go through the same selection and everything so um i think we've covered enough about rasp 2 because there was more questions honestly about rasp 2 than there was about rasp 1 and because I think there's that hidden, you know, everybody knows, ah, we know what the, uh, the, the young guys and everything that are coming in going to, but what, I mean, do I get preferential treatment because I'm at least an E5 or an E6? And to that point, what about if I've also been in regiment before and I left and went back to big army and I want to come in? I think you've kind of answered that, but is there anything else that you want to expand on that maybe that's been brought to you guys' attention you want to talk about regarding RASP2? No, I don't think so. I think it's interesting that you're getting more questions about RASP2, but yeah. thinking about it, most of the time when we when we discuss our selection programs, like, you know, in the open, so to speak, it's almost always about RASP1. Just the bigger program, like class sizes are way larger. Um, there's a larger population that's like coming to that program. Um, so we probably just neglected to really talk about RASP2 a whole lot. So are y'all briefing guys at like NCO academies and stuff like that too? Yeah, we any anytime we can get in front of some people and talk about the Ranger Regiment, we do it. Um, we'll, uh, you know, we, we do trips out to like, you know, Army installations. So we'll go out to, you know, Fort Drum, Fort Bragg, or Fort Liberty, not Fort Bragg, uh, Fort Campbell. You know, wherever wherever we're at, we're going to try and get somebody out there, you know, do a couple of briefs. I got like the brigade or battalion or lower level um, NCO Academy. Like one of the big things we like to do, too, is like when we, every ranger is a recruiter. So regardless of who you are, if you're in the ranger regiment and you're going to ALC, like you should be ready to talk to people about coming to, you know, assess and select for the ranger regiment right you shouldn't be like looking down on guys you should be looking out to guys and yeah. seeing like if they can help you know yeah. what i mean like, it's like every every ranger should be looking for like the, the guy that could come and replace them potentially i right? figured wlc would be a hot spot for y'all because y'all be catching junior soldiers as they're coming up to be leaders yeah and, and again and part of the reason why we would we would hope that like the rangers out there going to those courses are like you know recruiting like for their own unit um like we would love to get to every WLC in the army, but we just don't have like the manpower to like yeah. be everywhere all the time. Um, but hopefully the, the Rangers out there being good ambassadors uh, for the organization. And we could probably spend a, a whole nother half hour just on this next question. 
but yeah, I think you were the one that answered it the best the last time I asked it. What is a ranger? Because uh, people want to know the difference between ranger school and ranger regiment. So what is, you know, maybe explain the differences okay, there. Just, so the difference between ranger school and the ranger regiment is it's kind of, it's simple, but it's complicated. It's complicated by the fact that people say ranger and, you know, they think everything is the same. The word ranger. Just, it's on the tab. It's all encompassing, right? So, yeah, it's on, it's on the tab. It's on the, the scroll as well. So one of the things that the people in the ranger regiment will, will say sometimes is that the tab is a school and the scroll is a way of life. Um, so the Ranger tab is a, a, a special skill tab that you earn uh, when you graduate from the U.S. Army's Ranger School, right? It's the premier leadership school in the Army, probably in the U.S. military. And then uh, if we just keep going with that, probably in the world, right? It's, a, it's an extremely good school. I don't think anybody would say that it's like a, a not worthwhile experience. Um, yeah, you're going to be super tired and be super hungry. You're going to have to lead people who are also like that. Um, it's difficult, um, worthwhile thing, though. Ranger School is a, is a school run by the infantry school here on Fort Moore. It's a, it's a trade-off school. Um, anybody can go, right? Anybody in the Army, any branch of service of the U.S. military, foreign military sends students. Um, you earn a, a qualification, right? You're a Ranger qualified when you graduate from Ranger School. Um, the Ranger Regiment, obviously, we've been talking about this whole time. It's a unit. Um, it's a unit that you can only get into uh, through the doors of a selection process called RASP. So, big big difference there. Thank you for explaining that because it comes up often about well, what's the difference, and you know, and then of course it doesn't help when you have um, you know uncles and and everybody who may refer to themselves as Rangers, but they were Ranger tabbed, and so then it adds to the confusion of somebody who's entering the service about what's the difference and. You know, yeah, yeah. And you can a, only imagine. There's, there's always arguments about like, you know, somebody who's been to ranger school and they call themselves a ranger. Somebody else calls them a ranger. And, you know, people will be like, oh, if you haven't been in the ranger regiment, you're not a ranger. Personally, for me, it doesn't really bother me. If you've been to ranger school and you call yourself a ranger, somebody else calls you a ranger. I'm fine with that. You know, um, there's a lot of people, though, that, that consider that, like, if you're in the ranger regiment, you are a ranger. And to make the distinction that you've been to Ranger School, you are Ranger, Ranger qualified. Ranger qualified, yeah. It's it's yeah. Uh, it's funny though. Where I find the most entertaining conversation around this is people from other service branch, uh, other branches of service, who ask me this question, and I try to explain it, and it's just you know it's it's hard for them to understand <laughs> yeah. because the school is called Ranger School. Yeah. Anyway, all right, so I'm going to start getting into the uh, Q&A of what people um, brought to us and everything. So we're just going to kind of shot down, uh, shotgun down through there. So can I volunteer for RASP while currently on rotation in Europe? I think you really answered that question already, right? Yeah, so, it doesn't matter where you are. You can always apply. Yeah, absolutely. The, the big thing is if you are um, either deployed you know, to Europe or you're you know, doing a tour in Korea or wherever, right? If you're overseas somewhere, there's going to be some rules that we can't necessarily get around in terms of like bringing you home early they have like a derose date that they have to exactly. they have to meet before they can go yeah so yeah. We, we prefer like just email us right so yeah. recruit at mail email us we'll talk you through like a, the kind of like the process and the timing of everything because it gets complicated when you're in europe and maybe like you're coming home straight into a pcs we want to make sure that we talk to you soon enough that we can work with you work with your branch to ensure that like we can get you assessed before you get sucked into an assignment that we can't get you out of and now you're waiting another 12 months until you can apply so 
Somebody asked, is there a need right now for 12 Bravos? And I guess it's because they applied and there wasn't. What's your answer? Let's just not even say 12 Bravos. Any one of the list of MOSs, an individual wants to apply, maybe they weren't selected for whatever reason, or it could have been just there wasn't enough slots available at the moment. What you, what's your answer back? Yeah, so if you reach out and you're told that like we were unable to like you know extend you an application at this time, most of the time, um, especially if you're in MOS that we don't have a ton of authorized positions for, it's probably simply that we we just we genuinely don't have like a position available to, to for you to fill. Um, we're not authorized a whole ton of twelve bravos, so you know we already. I think we probably have. I think we're probably full, maybe even more than full at twelve bravo. Um, so, regardless of the MOS, if you reach out and we're gonna be like, hey, sorry, like we, we can't extend your application, no available positions. If you want to be a ranger, then that means like six months from now. You're going to do it again. E- email us again, you know, yeah. a year from now. Email us again because like manning situation is always changing. Just like every unit in the army, people are promoting up out of position. People are getting out of the army. Um, so reach back out to us because the next time you do, you might be like, yep, here's an application. You know, let us know when you can come and, and you know, go to our selection course. Um, okay, so we already asked the question about the uh, demotions for anybody who's coming off already in active duty enlisted coming in. Uh, but what's the path? Do they typically, somebody asked the question, do you guys, because they're coming in from Big Army, do you put them in an S uh, shop for a period of time? Do you, before introducing them to a line unit? I think you kind of addressed that in that, like, let's say you're a uh, squad leader, you probably will come back into being maybe a team leader or to earn that right to be a squad leader or something of that nature. But you're not putting them like in an S shop or doing something off the, you know, mowing the grass or doing anything crazy. No, I mean, in my experience, generally, you're going to come in and then based on your pay grade, we're going to expect you to, to, if you're not exactly ready right now, we're going to expect you to like work and be ready to take a position that's like, you know, commensurate with your rank pretty quickly. So if you come over as a, so I'll use infantry again, easy example. You come over as a sergeant infantryman. Um, the expectation is that you're gonna be able to fill a team leader position in the ranger regiment pretty quickly, all right? It's gonna take some work, there's a learning curve. Um, a lot of times what you'll see happen is instead of just like throwing somebody to the wolves who came from like an outside organization, we'll, we'll match uh, that, uh, that individual up with another team leader. Um, and they'll kind of do like a left seat, right seat, like shadow for like a few weeks or for a major training event. Um, cause it's a, it's a good way to learn, right? Get, get kind of caught up, get some experience, see how things are done, see how somebody who's doing the job right now successfully does it. Um, instead of just like, all right, here you are. Congrats. Here's your team. Uh, don't screw it up. You know, I could, well, like, Hey, here, we're, we want you to be successful and this guy's good. So you're going to hang out you're going to train together you're going to watch him lead his team and then you know down the road you'll get yours so somebody asked this question i'm going to go ahead and kind of read it the way uh it was asked um i'm a staff sergeant coming in do i get preferential treatment at rasp 2 yeah as a staff sergeant yeah no i mean like nobody gets preferential treatment at rasp (laughs) um uh, if you if you go to RASP and you like you know you act like you deserve preferential treatment, you might get different treatment, but it's not going to be preferential. Um, the uh, the reality is is that um, especially at RASP two, like we're expecting people to be there who are mature, um, and like nobody's going to be like really screaming at anybody. Like you're going to be given instructions, expected to follow those instructions, and like you know 
that's kind of that's kind of the end of it um but yeah no preferential treatment like I mean, it's, I mean, were they really expecting you to say something different? I, I, like, yeah, yeah. If you're coming in as a staff sergeant, yeah, come on. And we're going to go ahead and give you the, the tambourine. Yeah. Work starts at 930. You yeah. guys are out of here by 15. Yeah, I'm, I'm, <laughs> unless, unless maybe they're thinking that they're going to like be treated like worse because they're coming in as a staff sergeant. Maybe. I don't, I don't know. No, no they, they, they want a preferential treatment. Yeah. Was the, yeah. yeah, no, I don't know. I don't really. Nope. Okay. So last question. Um Evidently, there's been rumors out there um, that the regiment is not necessarily hurting for guys at the moment. I thought the word hurting was kind of interesting because I don't know that you guys are ever really hurting. It's more about it's a selection process again. So you're trying to select the best of the best. So how would you answer that about currently right now where you guys stand and um, is there a greater push? And so I think maybe what people are asking that question around is what's my chances that's what i how i hear what are my odds of being able to even be considered to go to rasp yeah i would say hey if you want to go to rasp reach out to us and apply right because a lot of people want to talk about it but talking about it's one thing doing it's another so send us an email let's do it um second thing would be regardless of if the ranger regiment was manned at 100 percent strength or 30 percent strength our standards are our standards so it doesn't matter right if we're hurting for people or we're not hurting for people you're going to show up and perform your performance will be evaluated by some pretty professional cadre who are pretty well trained to like do their jobs and if your performance is up to standard you will be selected if your if your performance is below standard you will not so it's pretty simple um like everybody else in the army we're always looking for talent right we are not full at every MOS. Um, there's certain MOSs that we need more people than others. Um, but like I said, even if you're in an MOS where you're hypercritical to us and like your, your MOS is like directly contributes to mission readiness, you're going to come to RASP and we're still going to assess you like everybody else. Right. You're not, yeah. we're not gonna be like, Hey, we, this guy's a, a, an MOS, you know, X, Y, or Z, like we really need him. Let's just like, just let them go you know like that's not that's not gonna happen like <laughs> there are gonna, no number one draft picks here no like yeah, you're okay. you're gonna do the, nice you're gonna do the right amount of push-ups you're gonna do the plank for the right amount of time you're gonna run five miles in 40 minutes or less you're gonna do at least six chin-ups you're gonna finish the 12 mile road march with the correct packing list in three hours or less you're not gonna quit you're gonna be a good teammate like that's how you'll get selected not because you're some mos that we we need and let's just be clear, people might be listening because this came up in, a, in another episode from a former guy who was assigned here about those requirements that you just described. Those are the minimum. It's not like every day you're just going to be carrying a 35 pound rock. And I mean, it's, let's face it, the, the load gets heavier once you get in the requirements. That's the minimum standards in order to come in. A minimum, is, I think, is the underscore highlighted italicized word here. Yeah. Yeah. So like I said, like the, the RFT numbers are like, you know, 41 pushups, 235 plank, 40 minute, five miles, six chin-ups. That's the baseline. That is the like, you can't score any lower than that or you've failed. Um, obviously, like you always strive to score higher than that. Right. Three hours is like the, the longest it can take you to, to complete a 12 mile ruck. You're not trying to hit three hours. Right. You're trying to hit less than three hours. Um, yeah. So the, once you've once you've done that in RASP one, right, you pass all that stuff, you get out to like whatever unit you're assigned to within the Ranger Regiment. Um, yeah, it'll be a competitive environment where like 
nobody is satisfied with a three hour, 12 mile ruck march. Everybody wants to go faster. They want their team to go faster, their squad, their platoon. Um, and everybody will be driving towards the same goals, right? It's one of the great parts of the organization is the people who were here all had to do the same sort of stuff to earn their spot here. Um, and everybody wants to be better personally and organizationally too. Back in the day, and I think we covered this along, uh, during the other episode and stuff as well, is that um, most of the people that would come into regiment, or not most, I said, but there was a pretty high, high percentage of attrition in terms of like 30% or so when the first 18 to 24 months were washing out. I think what you have, got, uh, you have done as an organization um, has now, you know, in keeping individuals and finding ways to utilize them, recognizing that they might be just kind of getting burnt out in their certain, um, you know, their certain assignment right now. But hey, maybe we could use you over in recruiting. Maybe you can go over to the three shop. Maybe you can do this for a period of time or an individual finding that kind of avenue is tremendous because if you get in, the idea is to retain. And I think it's an important message too for individuals. Yeah, you got to earn the green. Uh, you got to earn the tambourine every time, or every day, I should say. But yeah. once you get in, yeah, and it's it's a matter too of like just having leaders who have an eye for like talent management, right? And people are talented in different ways, and everybody's probably got something to offer. And so it's kind of a matter of like you know, you know, rearranging or shuffling people back and forth until we were finding like the right fit where they're like you know best utilized. Um, and then also trying to ensure that we're protecting folks' career advancement too. We're doing all of like the, the right things and checking the right blocks in terms of like, you know, professional development and stuff. So people's careers aren't stagnating, continuing to promote. And uh, yeah, I think we do a pretty good job at it. I mean, the Abrams Charter is for individuals to leave and go out into big army to improve that. And um, but there are options and in, in things that are available for career development and personal development if you want to get into uh, regiment that you guys will help them find. Okay, so I'm going to do a quick recap, but if there's something else that we still want to talk about, let me know. But for those that were listening, you know, um, you've heard about the, the history of the regiment, uh, or at least as far as Rangers within the Army. From that, you know, you, you look at the various different avenues that you can come in, whether you're coming off the streets, you're coming prior service, you're already on active duty, whether you're enlisted, you're officer, warrant officer. Um, everybody goes through the same type of assessment. It doesn't matter whether it's called RASP 1 or RASP 2. You basically just break those up based on their experience level and those types of things. But it's one standard for everybody that comes in. Um, and... Um, then once you get into the unit, you just got to earn um, the right to, to wear the beret every day and uh, keep holding that standard all times. It's not like it's done once you get in. So I think that kind of really summarizes it. If there's something else that we're forgetting here, please let me know. No, I think that's a, I think that's a great summary. You, you listing it all off, man, it seemed like we talked about a lot of stuff and it doesn't feel like that. Yeah, no, no, we really did. And we covered a lot of different things. And I'm sure if you guys are listening to the episode and you have future questions that come out of this, you can obviously reach out to us, put a comment within um, one of our social media pages or reach out to 75th Rangers at, is it 70th Ranger? Or so uh, the email, the email is 75 recruit at SOCOM.mil. Thank you. 75 yeah. recruit at SOCOM.mil. Yep. All right. And uh, website. Uh, so because you guys have a website as well, yeah, right? Where they can website is seventy fifth ranger regiment dot org. Um, we can you can also find us on a lot of like the army's websites, right? Like the the Fort Moore website, um, Go Army Soft. You can find us on there. Uh, you find us on Instagram at seventy fifth underscore ranger underscore recruiting. 
75th Ranger Regiment on YouTube and Facebook as well. Pretty much if you type in 75th on social media, especially Instagram, you're going to see a lot of the ones that you just mentioned, uh, Fort Huachuca, Sill, all of those things start popping up. And uh, those are all the liaisons that you were describing. You can reach out, contact them through social media or directly to the recruiting page or contact via email. In other words, there's no excuse. If you're interested in getting uh, your questions answered and everything, there's all kinds of different avenues. And once again, don't ever quit. Don't ever self-select. Go all the way. And and if this is truly where your heart's at, you'll end up here at some point, right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you again so much, Sergeant T, for joining us on the podcast, man, and telling us... uh, our listeners and everything about the program and what they can expect and obviously uh, we're going to be doing continuous shows um, here with some round robin on low uh, density MOS's and then we're going to get the regimental sergeant major which is going to be quite a treat as well uh, but for you we really appreciate you coming in and sharing more about the recruiting aspects and and what they can do and I hope to see you again in the future yeah likewise thanks for having me guys